You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. The core of any artist, an actor or composer or choreographer, is that of being a storyteller. In this third part of our series on bettering ourselves and bettering our careers, I'm talking with writer and poet Max Stossel. And telling stories is at the heart of his work, whether on stage, in print, or on the screen. He shares with us how best to craft and tell stories and why it's important to listen to that story and how it wants to be told. It's like if you're not thinking about the environment that your story is going to be received in, your odds of delivering that package are much lower. If you don't want to deal with it, it's like it's really frustrating and extra work. Like, yeah, I get that. But if you want your story to really be heard and seen, you need to think about where is someone consuming it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Why I'll Never Make It, or Win Me for short, one of Feedspot's top 25 theater podcasts. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer for almost 30 years. Now, each week you'll learn from fellow actors and creatives as we explore the challenges of trying to make it in this business. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com. There you can support and donate to this podcast as well as get info on valuable artist resources. Learn about all that and more at whyillnevermakeit.com or click on the link in the show notes. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Though the theater is my main focus as both an actor and a podcaster, it is often interesting and enlightening to talk to those outside the theater world. And while today's guest has performed on stage... He is the last person who would consider himself to be an actor of any sorts. Nonetheless, Max Stossel has a lot to teach us actors about how we present and perform stories. Max is actually an award-winning poet, filmmaker, and speaker, and was even named by Forbes as one of the best storytellers of the year. So he and I will be talking about his one-man show, Words That Move, which was selling out theaters all over the country before COVID hit and is currently being developed into a digital special. His performances have been described as mind-expansing, profound, and hilarious all at once. And if that last name Stossel sounds familiar to you, you might be familiar with his father, journalist and sometimes contrarian John Stossel. While I do my best to keep this podcast free from the political muck and turmoil of the day, I do ask Max about what his father has taught him about telling stories and using video as a medium. And through that, Max shares the importance of staying authentic and true to yourself. But first, our conversation starts off with the basics of storytelling and how to get our thoughts and ideas down onto the page. Welcome, Max. It is great to meet you and to have you here on the podcast. It's glad to be here. Thank you so much. Now, there is this old saying, you know, that everyone's got a story to tell, and that is certainly something that you do. You've been doing that for many years now. But writing can be a daunting task for most of us, especially if it's not our craft, so to speak. Even the best writers, they get writer's block. So what have you found is the best way to just start piecing words together and putting them on the page? I'm reminded of a quote someone shared with me recently, which was something like, anyone who loves writing probably isn't a very good writer. 
Um, <laughs> uh, and there are times when it's flowing, of course, I love it. When I feel inspired and when it's just coming on the page and it feels like I'm catching something from a higher place and putting it down, that is bliss. That is like an ecstasy experience. Most of the time, I don't feel necessarily in touch with that. And the work is trying to get more in touch with that. For me, I have found just flow writing to be the most gratifying and a good way of getting in touch with that. It's just presence. What is here right now? What am I feeling right now? I'm stressed in my shoulders. It's like, oh, like I don't feel inspired. I'm frustrated that I don't feel inspired. Literally writing out the block. I'm for, this is what's going on now, which tends to be my flow and style anyway. Almost like a stream of consciousness, just whatever's there. Yeah, it's a stream of consciousness, what's there. And then oftentimes after like, uh, you know, a couple paragraphs of totally scattered nonsense, maybe a theme starts to emerge and then I can start to get into something that feels good or better. Um, starting is often the hardest part. I'm right now working on a project that's for a specific theme, which is very, which is more difficult for me where it's like, Hey, write about this. Cause I feel like that's very much I'm crafting it as opposed to I'm feeling inspired and just what wants to come out. Um, so that's a very different kind of process of, okay, like what inspires me about this topic? How can I shift that? How can I relate that to someone who's going to be listening to it? There's a lot more thought in that. The writing that really inspires me is just like, what's here? What's now? And then it's finding things. Oh, I didn't even notice that about myself or the world until it started to come out. But sort of being openly curious about the writing process and being willing to get through the junk until something, you know, more fun starts to come. And sometimes it won't. Sometimes it'll just be junk the whole time and having patience with that too. Yeah, it's so interesting as you say that because in like for me, the structure of I'm going to write about a certain topic or something that, that, you know, I have an idea in my brain and I'm now going to put that on, that seems more doable than just kind of open, <laughs> open season to whatever may come. So it's very interesting how just even that beginning process can be very subjective to the person. Uh, totally. Yeah. We might all have very different processes. Mine is I get very, fr- like, I'll start writing about a topic and I'll bore myself. <laughs> I'm more interested. <laughs> I'm more interested as it's natural and discovery for me. For example, with that, have you ever had an idea and then you started to write it, but you had like a sharp left turn? Oh, wait, actually, that's what I want to talk about. And it took you somewhere else. All the time. Um, that really is very frequently comes up in writing. A poem seems to turn into a different poem in the editing process later. It's likely that I'll take like a full paragraph and move it or for a couple of paragraphs, be like, this is part of a different poem and just move them out. Um, and then sometimes it goes to a different topic. And if I keep going long enough, it gets all the way back. Um, and then it's like, oh, look, these were part of the same thing. And I didn't realize how, which can be very fun. It also, off, I have found in terms of thinking about performance, like those are long pieces usually. Like that takes a long time to go from one topic, get to another topic, then maybe another topic and get all the way back to bring it full circle. So sometimes if it goes too many directions, I won't perform it as a whole because it just feels like it's too hard to follow. One way in which my writing has been unique and I think is both a blessing and a curse is that I had, especially in the beginning of my writing poetry, was very conscious of how is this going to be received? How are people going? Are people going to hear this? Are they going to get it? At what points are they going to be bored or what points are they going to be engaged? Like, how, am I really keeping them along the journey? And that was present with me in the writing process for most of the time that I've been a poet. I've, it's a blessing in the sense that I think that allows for me to really create engaging material. Um, it's a curse in the sense that it can be, I'm prioritizing the audience over myself. Yeah, I was just about to get into that because I was wondering how much you consider of the audience or the listener as you craft it, because you, you want it to be personal. You want it to be something from Max. You want it to come from you. But at the same time, as you say, you want it to resonate with them. So where's that balance of it being fully you, but yet still have a piece of other people in it. Yeah. I think especially for the majority of the beginning of my work, it was almost zero me. It's like, really just like, what, like, are you going to be with me? Like, are you getting this? Are you receiving this? And of course it's my seeing, it's my observation, but I almost wanted to like get out of the way and be like, look like this thing, I found something. I want you to have it. It didn't come from me, but there's this thing and I want you to have it. Can I get this to you? Um, and then thinking the whole way of, are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? And so like really trying to pull them along that journey. And I think I was very good at that. A cha- and like a challenge I run into in this phase of my writing life is as I, I've released some of that. 
And I am more just like, this is just what I want to say. So I don't want what I want to express. If you get that, great. If you don't, okay, that's great too. Like the right people will get it or find it. Um, but it's, it's harder to relate to that work. Like I'm not, <laughs> when I stop caring about what the audience hears and how long, how, like, how long, if they're really with me, it's, it's less, I think it's less easy to deliver that package. It's more just I'm expressing and trusting that that will find the right audience. Um, I think that's also a recipe for less mainstream, like that will, there will be fewer people who really relate just to what I'm expressing and as I express it. And maybe that's more artistic in the classical sense. I don't know, especially in that early work with like really thinking, are they getting this? Are they getting this? Are they getting this? I was like really obsessed with like, how am I holding attention? If there was one line where I feel like I'm losing them, it's like, no, change it or change the delivery of it. But like obsessively thinking about the audience's attention, like all the way through the writing and practicing process. Now, how would you answer that question exactly? You know, that are you with me? How would you answer that, you know, being alone, writing down by yourself? Where do you come up with that answer? It's a great question. So it's two, it's two phases. In the writing, I always feel like I have a pretty good sense of like, will people care? I think in terms of writing, that's for my advice for writers and poets and people who are trying to put their work out into the world. I think one of the best pieces of advice I have is like, why does anyone give a shit of all the things in the world that everyone could watch? Why are they going to care? Like, why does anybody care at all? And like, we often, I think, as humans have a sense of self-importance and like, my story matters. Um, Everyone has a story to tell. My story matters. And I think taking, and it's true, of course, you matter and your story. Yes, you do. You matter. Your story matters. And in terms of sharing things publicly, like thinking about the competitive nature of the attention and information market and how much stuff is out there thinking, why would someone really care about this? And so I think I've been better than most at being able to think like, okay, that's not interesting. That's not interesting. Ooh, that part, that part I think is going to grab people. And just like looking at it, taking myself out of it and looking from that lens. Um, And so I think there's that in the writing process. And then once I start performing or sharing for people, then you can feel it. You can feel when you're losing a room or like when people are really engaged or when they're not. And you start to learn what is it about the poem, sometimes just the room itself, there's background noise, there's other things, so they're not as engaged, but you start to feel out, huh, is this working in the way that I had hoped it would work? Are people in with me? Are they here with me? Are they feeling this? And then in performance, I can feel like, oh, okay, like this part seems to drag, maybe I can shorten it. Yeah, and it could be the words, it could be how you're delivering it, how you're performing it. So there's different ways to uh, play with that to see what's going to grab an audience. I bet your audience and actors better than me would know how to how to use performance more to do that. For me, I was more comfortable <laughs> with, the, with tweak, <laughs> tweaking the words. Yeah. Well, th- well, now, speaking of us actors, I mean, w- most of us are used to being the vessels for storytellers. You know, we embody the characters and the dialogue and so on. But how important do you think it is that we also write and create stories? I mean stage their own is always my attitude but I think it would be a powerful experience to try just in the sense that also sometimes actors will say wow like your memorization is so impressive and to me you know because I'm memorizing an hour's worth of material on the stage just like in the poems just flow but once I've written it by the time I've done writing it I'm three quarters memorized because I've gone over it and back over it so many times and so that part comes much more naturally But I think there also is an experience of these are my words. This is an idea that I feel called to share. And that's what I want to express, like from idea to expression that I think as an artist is an experience I'd recommend for actors to at least try um, and notice how it might feel. Yeah. Well, your show in particular, Words That Move. Now, that title, is that kind of a commentary about how most words are stationary? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's just it's been this brand that i've taken on Um, as i turned my poetry into short films the words moving and i like when my words move people and it just felt like kind of nice play has become a become a brand for me and this is words that move see through a different eye and it's a journey through nine different perspectives and i love it very much it's a culmination of like six years of writing and then though each nine poems strung together to tell a story about perspective. And it was really well received. I did it first at Cherry Lane and then at uh, Joe's Pub. I did once at the Soho Playhouse and then a couple of times out in L.A. and San Francisco. Um, and it was received really beautifully and felt just as I had for a long time just done an individual poem or a couple of poems at conferences or events at like other people's stuff. This was the first time I created the whole container for this art form and to have it be 
such soul food for people was such a gift both to me and I hope to them. It seems like to them. Um, and I'm currently working on adapting that show into a digital special. And that's what I'm working on right now. Yeah, it's it, it progressed from your mind to the page and the stage and now these visual mediums. So yeah, the words themselves are continuing to move along different mediums as well. Nice. Yeah. You like that? You like that? <laughs> and that is what I see my role as. And I think why I have spanned across these different verticals of it. It's like as the writer and as someone who cares deeply about these ideas, it's okay, here's the idea. How do I get this idea to you? Um, on stage, in person, I feel like I know how to do that. I can deliver it through this medium. This works. I can deliver an idea to you. And then as soon as we enter the screen, it's like even if I were to perform a poem right now, it wouldn't feel like the delivery happens in the same way through the screen. And so once we enter into this environment of digital, I think it takes a lot more work to keep the soul of that message intact and deliver that through the screen. And so that's the, that's the job, I think, that I'm trying to accomplish is there's a beautiful thing. There's something at the center. And it's not, if you summarized it in a couple sentences, it wouldn't be it. There's an it. There's like an it there in this art and I want you to have it. And then how can I get it to you through the screen? And I hope we've accomplished that through this hour long special. It's been, um, it's, I've learned how to do that. It's an undertaking for three minutes at a time. And then an hour is much larger, but that's the work for me is I, I feel like I'm a delivery man. It is my job to deliver you this thing. Well, and that's something that us actors have to balance as well. When we are stage actors or we're television film actors, those are different mediums. And as you said, once you have a live audience and go to this little box on a screen, there's just a different way of delivering. How have you found a different way to tell your story that resonates with the live audience as well as the screen audience? Yeah. So I initially looked at it as just like, oh, like we need effects. We need to show the story happening. Just like what, like what exactly is going on? What's going to be the most compelling way to show this to the screen? It was only in shooting this special. I, it was a actor director friend who directed this. Um, her name is Erin Richards. She's uh, wonderful and very talented. And she was also giving me like, there were plenty of times she's like, I know you do this on stage. You do these big motions with your hand. It's like, we need to, we need to make it smaller for the camera. <laughs> right. I, was, I was very, I was like, well, no, like, I don't want to make it small. Like, this is it. This is the thing. It'll translate. And she'd like, have me watch it and be like, see, and your hands go like off camera. And that's weird. Like, don't do that. Like, here's your mark. Go to there. And then I'm thinking about it. And then I'm being like, wait, but I'm thinking about the mark and I'm not doing it in the same way. It was now yeah, you know what lot. us actors go through. I'm a <laughs> theater a actor and I go into this little small little audition room and they have a camera and I have to like stay still and yeah. not. And yeah. it was, I also, it's in one of my short films where it's a story between me and my dog. And I like, I had to, there was one scene where I needed to turn around. We had to do it like 7,000 times. Of like, cause I just couldn't turn around at the right speed or the right. It was just, <laughs> I don't think I'm a particularly good actor, <laughs> frankly. Um, but it's also, it's interesting in this sense of like, to think about it that way in terms of delivery is helpful because if we're thinking about it like an ecosystem, because I still think for the writers and for directors, people who are trying to tell stories, there is a thing. And often, you know, we're handing it off to the actors saying like, Hey, Here's the thing. Can you get this to the people? Um, and so to think of actors as a part of that chain, even if you haven't necessarily originated the thing that's being delivered, um, it might be a helpful frame of reference to think like, okay, like, what am I, what am like, what am I signing for? What is the thing? Do I really understand the thing that I'm delivering? Because it won't be words. It won't be descriptions. It's just like, do I feel it? Do I get it so that I can give that? And of course, everyone's going to put their own take on it. And that's a part of creating of collaborative creating is like, recognizing as I hand things off to actors or hand things off to other people. Yeah. Right, that's not, that's not the way that I was thinking it, but that's <laughs> now how it's happening there. And uh, Matthew Morrison, who's a really beautifully talented actor, is someone who I, I wrote a poem for an event that we were doing together and then watched him perform it. And that was the first time that I was like, Oh, there's another level of like, that's how that can be done. You're right. <laughs> of like just <laughs> magical performingness that can take this up a notch into totally different ways. I've always been very like, I've handed it off to people who weren't as talented, frankly, and I'd hear them perform it. And I'd be like, that's not it. What are you doing to it? <laughs> and handing it to Matt was the first time I was like, Oh, it can up level by giving this to somebody who really knows what they're doing on stage. And he's just really a pro. Well, that's certainly what all of us actors hope we're doing with the writing and the the dialogue and shows that we're given. But one of the things that you did in Words That Move in the show on stage is you have a dancer 
and part of it. Why was it important for you to incorporate dance at that particular moment in the show? Um, I think this also came with my obsession with delivering the thing. Um, for this medium to work for an hour, I think there needs the uh, like poetry can be an intense medium. It needs some comedy. It needs some other elements. The dancer was like that poem and that dance is almost like a nice mental break from having to think so much about tough intellectual content. Um, and so we sort of can relax and watch a love poem and engage in a different medium. I think the brain does something different in that stage. And, you know, the show is very carefully thought out in that way where it's like, need to open up with a little activity live that gets people in and engaged. And sometimes I'll take Bobby McFerrin's activity. Have you ever seen that where he plays the audience? It kind of jumps from spot to spot. Um, I'll do that at the beginning, just like a little bit of it just to get everyone in the room, just like centered and present. Watch. Ba, ba, I need to bring a funny moment in early because once we're laughing, we're on the same team and you're more open to things. Okay, do this. There's an intense poem. We need to break after that. And so let's have a dance poem there. And then, okay, we're going to need more comedy to keep people engaged here. Just like really using different elements um, to keep and hold engaged attention. Um, and that has been very fundamental to the structure of the show. Yeah, it's interesting as, as you say that any new work, whether it's a straight play or a musical, it tends to follow that same pattern. So it's very interesting, even though you're delivering poetry or you're talking on themes and topics, it's really the same thing. You still want to have that ebb and flow of a story and in and out of the seriousness to the comedy with a little dance, a little music. You want to bring it all in so that the audience is constantly engaged and stimulated by what's going on. And yeah, that balance of what do I want to express? What exactly do I want to say? And what, like, what can they hear? What are they like, what, what can they take in? And you know, we are humans. We get bored easily, even more in our digital <laughs> age of like just losing our attention all the time. And so to be conscious of that and to recognize and have the humility in our own work to see when it's like, okay, like this is dragging. Yes, I like this. Yes, this is what I want to say. It's just not punchy enough yet. It's just not really captivating yet. And maybe I have to cut it or, or I don't. And people aren't going to phase, are going to phase out a little bit and being comfortable with that. But that's the, I think that's just an honest trade. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You had mentioned Matthew Morrison and kind of in the hands of an actor, what your words can do. So I'm curious, what would you say that us actors can learn from a poet and writer like you? And then conversely, what have you learned from other actors? Yeah, I'll start with the second one because I need to think harder about the first one. Um, what <laughs> okay. have I learned from actors is... I mean, like so much of what I would never would have thought of in terms of being on stage of energy, both like behind and in front of where when we're conscious of what's behind us, how that changes what's being delivered. Um, just like hand motions and gestures and the way that they can further articulate or deepen the words that are being shared. I'm often all over the place, but in certain moments I am doing specific hand gestures to try to deepen things. And like when I was little, I think I thought of, the career is acting is like like a superficial thing and i don't think that even in the slightest today like i think it's such an incredibly deep 
empathetic lens into humanity and the amount that it takes to like be another character and how much you have to know and experience and learn and live to be those other characters, I think is so beautiful and admirable. And just like, I think lessons in empathy from actors as well. Um, but that's, I think, yeah, definitely I've taken in so much and I'm constantly learning about how to deliver the package better. And in terms of what they, what actors can learn from me from writing and from writers, I think like there's such an intention. There's something we're trying to to share. We're trying to give, we're trying to get out into the world. And I think, you know, reading the lines on the page or exactly as these words or stage directions are, it's like often won't be it. It's like, make sure like there should be a moment where you're looking at your writer or you're looking at your director and where you're like, without words, where you just know we we're trying to give the audience the same thing. It's like, we've got it. It's like this, we're on the same page. And I think investing in finding that moment investing and finding that connection and being like the thing that like really wants to happen here, like at the center, I think is pretty critical because everything comes out from that. Every, the way every single line is delivered is going to feel more aligned or more connected. If you feel like you're coming from the same place and then a director of course can help guide you when they can see you and you can't. Yeah. I don't know. That's what comes up. I hadn't really thought of what actors can learn from me. I've been so focused on what I can learn from you. (laughs) Well, it's interesting what you brought up when it comes to that audience, which do you think is more important to go to the audience where they are and deliver the message or bring them to you and the things that you want to say? That's interesting from, I can, I really hear that from you as an actor of like, cause that is in some ways the job, right? It's like to bring them in uh, there. My skill set has been more able to meet them where they are. Um, and it's interesting also, you know, in theater versus behind screen versus like where it's being delivered in a theater, you have more attention. You have more space to bring them to you. They're, they're literally already there. <laughs> so right, like, they literally showed up at your doorstep. Yeah, they're they there. They have come. Um, and so I think you have more space to like to bring them to where you are um, in the screen. And like when you're creating content that someone is quite frankly, probably watching like like this while they're just like kind of scrolling mindlessly and not really paying attention, there's less room to, to, to do anything, but like meet people where they are. It's hard to ask something of someone who's in that mental state. Um, and so I think it does depend on the medium, but that, I, I like that question from you as like, that that being what actors can do is like, is to bring people to where the actors are. And you know, honestly, as I hear you say it, I'm like, Oh, it's probably a skill I still need to hone. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think you you gave a good answer because I do think that it is a balance of both and it depends on the medium. There's one where you have to go to the audience and then there's another where you can rely on them to go on whatever journey you want to take them on. So it, it really does depend on it. I think it's some of my frustration with social media and with like the digital world is that it does, it feels like there's no room for just like, what's here? Here's what I want to share with you. It's like, first, it takes so much catering, so much like, meeting you in the mindless place that you're at when like, why are we all working so hard to meet you in this mindless place as opposed to sharing what's important to us and letting that be enough? Because they're just scrolling and literally, I I think, what what is it? Like you have uh, 1.5 seconds or whatever to grab their attention and they're scrolling on. So it's like, which is is absurd, right? Which is absurd. And like, that's not a good format for messages that matter. Um, But it's, it's where we are. Why I'll Never Make It may be a podcast, but it too is on social media, particularly Instagram and Twitter, where I do my best to share more than just mindless posts, but rather thoughtful motivations and information for artists like you. So please follow Why I'll Never Make It at Podcast or look for the social links in the show notes. So now I want to get down to the nitty gritty of actual writing. So what do you see as like the, the most important two or three ingredients of crafting a story? I mean, stories have beginning, middles and ends. And having a sense of that um, is powerful. I heard something recently that I really resonated with, which was I think it was the South Park writers um, talked about how when they're storyboarding scenes, um, if you have to say, and then... Um, it's not good. It's like, it's not good enough. You need like, this happens. If you have to do, and then this happens, then you're missing it. It's like, this happens. So this happens. 
but this happens. So like letting what you've created naturally lead to itself where you're not just adding topic on top of topic on top of topic, I think is a helpful, a helpful way of looking at things. But yeah, I mean, for me and my stories tend to be short. They tend to be like in poem form. Um, I'm not as experienced at creating a longer script, but for me, it's like the environment matters quite a bit. Just like, where is a place that the writing feels comfortable coming out? Is there music that feels right to accompany it? Um, And just getting present with a topic and letting things flow. Yeah, I'm in general much less interested in what someone wants to write versus what writing wants to happen through someone. If you come to me being like, I want to tell a story about this, 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 but you're like very in your head. I'm like often kind of like, what's like really that? It's like what wants to happen? Like if you stop forcing what you're trying to do on the world, just like what wants to come out of you, which to me, and I'm one person, but is usually more interesting. (laughs) Well, it's that of finding your why, you know, whether, why do you want to be an actor? Why do you want to be a writer? Why do you want to start a podcast? You know, whatever it is that you're wanting to create, why do you want to do it? And then that will inform the what that you do with it. That, yeah, that resonates for me. And when I'm working with, with brands or corporations and they're trying to tell their story, that's very much what I get into. And often my tactic, and some of this probably is from journalist dad, um, but is I come pretty intensely with a, so what, who cares? Like, that's what you do. Why does that matter? Like, why should I care? Why should I care? Until if you go down that road long enough, you often get to like, sometimes real frustration, <laughs> which is great <laughs> part of the process. And also someone being like, well, cause like, cause this, and it's like, ah, there, like there that's it is in your passionate, like, this is why we're doing this. This is why this matters. Like this is bad and we're fixing it. It's like, okay, like take me to that place in my life or into your audience's life. And where does that passion naturally come up? And often that's a good place, at least to start with the kernel of what you want to tell your story about. I was listening to one of the, the talks that you gave and, and you were mentioning wanting to grab someone's attention and hold it as long as possible. Do, do you see that as, as really the goal of a storyteller? Um, so that was what I was doing in marketing world of like our investors were telling us that if you hold your attention for two minutes or longer, you have a valuable company. And so like, I don't think it's a storyteller's job. That is what the internet ecosystem thinks a storyteller's job is, mm-hmm. is that if people are watching, it's good. So longer means better. It's so like if you can grab attention more, it's better. But I don't think that is what a storyteller's job is at all. I think a storyteller's job is to convey a message. Um and then for me, it's much more about throughout the course of the thing that I want to tell, am I doing a good job of captivating you, of like, of holding your attention through that, of inspiring you, of pissing you off, of keeping you with me. And so that strikes me more as what a storyteller's job is than just holding attention. But the platforms themselves are trying to hold our attention. Again, it comes down to that medium, you know, whether it's the stage, there's the screen, our little phones, you know, social media, the medium will almost dictate the kind of content. Do you think that that is the, the correct way to look at it, that where you're going to showcase your story or whatever you want to tell, then you need to cater it to that particular medium? You don't need to do anything. And um, okay. I, think, I think it would be, I think that's what helps it get seen. It's like, if you're not thinking about that, if you're not thinking about the environment that your story is going to be received in. It's just, you, I feel like your odds of delivering that package are much lower. Um, if you don't want to deal with it, I hear that. It's like, it's really frustrating and extra work and steps. And it's like annoying. And I just want to tell my story and I don't want to deal with all of like the, how it's going to be received. And pat- like, yeah, I get that. You don't have to do anything. I think if you want your story to really be heard and seen and like felt, you need to think about where is someone consuming it? Simon Sinek talks about how like some of the most brilliantly celebrated academic papers are read by on average eight people. And like, what is the good of all of that brilliance? If like, it can't, if only eight people know it. Delivered. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he jokes that like seven of those people are seeing if they're sighted. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, if, I think if you're thinking about what is the environment your message is going to live in, you have a better chance of delivering that package to someone. Hmm. Yeah, because when it comes to that medium, we, we've talked about a few of them. You know, there's the written word, there's the spoken word, like audio recordings or podcasts, that kind of thing. And then there's the visual presentation of stage and screen. So we have all these different mediums for these stories. So how do you know which medium your story is going to be best presented in? My, I think my best advice for that would be to like to ask the story. It's like, to ask, like, what, like, what does it want? Like, where does, where does it want to go? How does it want to be received? Um, I noticed that in my own life, I'm most familiar with that deliver live 
situation as I'm writing, it feels baked in. I'm like thinking about, I can say this louder or this quieter, like just within saying it out loud is a part of my most natural medium, just like writing on the page, just crafting something that will just live there. I often feel like, no, like it's not quite it. Like I need to, I need to guide it a little bit further along that path. Um, occasionally I'll write something. And I'll be like, Oh, that kind of works written. Like, that's pretty cool. Um, but it isn't the, it isn't what comes naturally for me. It may be that your story wants to be written. It may be that it wants to be filmed. It may be that it wants to be spoken. It may be that it wants to not be told at all. But as hippie as it sounds, I think asking like, how does this thing want to be received and listening for an answer is an underrated thing to try. So did Words That Move, did it tell you it needed a digital format? Um, it first tells me it wants to be live. And then when I was in King's Theater where it was shot, which is this ridiculously lavish theater in New York, and I was like, this is excessive. And then it very much told me, it was like, no, I want to be here. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it wanted to be in that environment. And I think for me, the di- like turning the stories into a digital piece is stressful. It is not particularly fun. I don't particularly enjoy it. It's like, it's really, it's like, oh God, am I getting it right? Am I butchering my baby as I put it into this format? But the reality is like, I also, I care if, the message gets to people. The message wants to be seen and heard and received. And for that to happen more, digital is the way. And so to be honest, yeah, it's not for the love of the film storytelling. It's because I want these messages to be shared. And this is a way to share them to more people. And this painstaking process of trying to keep the integrity of those messages as they go into the screen. Well, certainly one of the the painstaking ways that we as artists and kind of everyone were, we're finding ourselves in these digital formats of social media and stuff. And you even worked as a media strategist for a while for several companies. But now you see social media differently than you did when you worked in that field. What was it exactly that changed for you? So, I mean, when I got into that field, you know, first thing out of college and they were like, you're young, go figure out social media. Um, and I kind of lucked out timing wise and career and that social media was just starting to explode and it became very easy to do a good job for brands um, because they had no idea what they were doing and small changes would go a huge, a huge amount of distance. Um, but so like at the time I was just, okay, this is marketing. I'm interested in people marketing. I'm going to do that. And great social media. And it was in doing that. I started to notice things like um, for Budweiser, which is a brand I'm working on, we changed the stories we, were, we would tell based on what works on these algorithms. So saying Budweiser is the greatest beer did better than here's how Budweiser is made. Saying like um, it's these controversial statements or like extreme statements would work better on social media or showing people who like to have a beer on Fridays, a beer on Fridays that worked well. Preaching to the choir worked well on these platforms. And we literally started changing the stories that we were telling based on what worked in that algorithm. Um, and so, you know, we're seeing, this is true of political parties. Now we see leaks in the Facebook files. Um, and like, this is, you know, they, they're saying out loud, Oh, we don't get the traffic. If we share our platform, we get the traffic. If we say the opposition sucks. And so like, there's more of it's just promoting and at a giant scale, more and more of that conversation. And I started to notice that happening and started to notice the difference between tweaks we'd make at the platform level to you to get more attention, like auto playing videos, for example, that works at grabbing more attentions if the video plays automatically. Um, you don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to spend more time on these platforms today. And so that gap between like the designers and the people using this, these platforms. And so in noticing from working in the space, I did. I like, I was like, I, I don't think we understand exactly what this is doing to us on a really big level. And in about 2015, I started working with someone named Tristan and the Center for Humane Technology of just trying to I give a lot of talks to students, parents, educators about how social media is influencing humanity and what we can do to try and navigate that world. Um, So I changed my tune in that one for sure, Um, mostly from just like, all right, I'm a kid working at these things, learning them. And then I would say the first conscious moments where I don't think this is so great for people. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No What do you think is the, the biggest impact that social media is having on society at large? I would say I am most concerned with the mental health. Like, I think a good way of looking at it, because we could hone in on any one thing. You give me a, literally any one facet of society, I can probably tell you how social media has influenced that facet of society. As actors here, performance is interesting because social media, in a way, has turned us all into like reality TV show producers of our own lives. And like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think we, reality TV is not necessarily a thing that we want to project tons of into the world, but that's what it's turned into of our own lives. And well, it's as like, long as it's the best glittery, shiny <laughs> reality, right? That, which is what we're right, which is what we put up, and it's just not reality, right? And it's also it's it's there's so much performance involved in each of these posts we are crafting this version of ourselves performative element the theater is great politics theater is less of how we want like turning politics into politics theater turning authenticity into authenticity theater turn like i'm using the word theater there into like a less authentic version of itself i know that great actors can make that really mean the the truth and depth but i think that's not most of what we see in our in our digital world. And I think there have been all these fires that have existed for a long time and social media poured gas on everything. Um, and so I think like the parts of ourselves that nobody would choose to highlight, social media has highlighted at a ridiculous scale, influencing in such deep and almost incomprehensible ways because billions of people doing it at once. It's hard to imagine what that does to a society at large. Yeah, because it's one thing when it was just magazines or newspapers, because not everyone necessarily read or saw those articles. And even then, again, that written word had a different impact than the visual medium that social media brings. And so what might have been a big story becomes a huge story on social media. Again, the medium is changing, almost changing the story. You know, it, it goes from, from what, what could be just a nuanced understanding of this political or this thought, and, and, and then it becomes so honed down into a headline that now the story has changed. And one thing we see now on the news front is just about anything that occurs, there are very, very, very few people who are just looking at, like, what occurred. It's everything that happened. See, look how this is evidence of this, 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 and that. See, mm -hmm. this happened, which is in so bad. But compared to these guys, this thing is not so bad. How can you be bad about this, but not mad about this? See, like this happened. It's just everything is used as evidence to confirm what we already want to believe um, by everyone. And that is frustrating as hell to me. It's become very frustrating for us actors as well, because now social media branding has become so important for us as casting directors are looking at our followers and being like, well, do you have enough? I don't know if I can cast you if you don't have enough, which is just kind of a, a crazy way to denote an actor's worth based upon how many people follow them on this platform or that platform. And thinking about the way that influences how an industry spends its time then actors are spending more time trying to grow on social media. How do you grow on social media? Is that by improving your skills as an actor? Probably not. Like, that's not really the same thing. I, I mean, back in the day, I was buying and selling Instagram accounts on the black market of like, there were these teenagers who were building up Instagram accounts to like 50,000 followers and then selling them to me for beer money. And I would resell them to people. This was before an Instagram <laughs> had like an algorithm. So because the, the 50, you would delete all the content and delete all the, information and just change it to yours and then just before instagram had an algorithm that would like have it be percentage of followers because now it doesn't work so well but then it would just be like okay look now you have fifty thousand followers just anyway i share that as an example of it's nonsense anyway there's all sorts of just like weird underground stuff going on and it's a ridiculous measure of somebody's talent in their industry oh I, i'm right there with you but it's one of those things where we're now we're here 
you know, social media, not only in, you know, the nine to five ordinary society, now in the arts, it's become an integral part of it. So how do we go about being a part of a world that needs social media so much without depending on it? I mean, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, how do we, how do we go about being a part of a world that needs social media so much? I would argue it doesn't need social media so much, but it sure does seem to want it so much. Yeah. Um, and how do we go about navigating that world? I think something that can be really helpful in navigating the social media world is just really trying to get brutally honest and in touch with your own why. What am I using this for? What role is it serving in my life? Noticing as we post something, the eagerness for likes, or is this being approved? Am I sharing what I want to share with the world? Or am I sharing this because this is what's going to work in the algorithm? If I'm sharing this because this is what's going to work in the algorithm, is that like just that's the game that I'm playing and I'm trying to do this for X reason and that's what it's about and I'm comfortable with it? Or are we letting the tentacles of that complicated system actually influence our thoughts and our emotions in ways that don't feel comfortable? It takes a really intense, I think, amount of self-awareness to have any kind of reasonably healthy relationship with social media. Luckily, I think the job of actors often is self-awareness. Um, and so I think that that does naturally go hand in hand. But I think to have that brutal honesty with ourselves of what am I using this for? How is this influencing my life? How is this influencing what I share with the world? And am I comfortable with that? Those are probably good questions to ask ourselves. As I listen to that, if I could boil it down, and I think I'm paraphrasing it correctly, that it's more make the social media yours, make your platform your own, rather than catering to what that platform wants you to do. Is that kind of right. the best way to look at it? I think so. It's just, I think the difficulty of that is underrated. It's like, it is extremely difficult to yeah. use any of these platforms and be like, look, this is how I'm sharing in a way that I want to be shared. As soon as we put anything into these boxes, it immediately has the tentacles playing with it and playing with us. Um, and so that, I think that is a good summary of make them our own and use them as tools, but it's just much, much, much easier said than done. Yeah. With so much distraction out there, how do we stand out? Is it really just narrowing down on that authenticity? Is that really the only way that we can stand out? Well, so this is the paradox. I think like what I'm expressing of how to have a healthy relationship with this stuff is, is I think, not playing the game of trying to stand out. The way you stand out is by playing the game, is by being more vain and showing more ass and like all the all the other things that just kind of work on social media. I don't think that's a recipe for feeling good about your relationship with social media. I think to feel good about your relationship with it, you share what you want to share. You do what you want to do. Do your best to express things that feel true to you and not to cave to the pressures of what you're supposed to be sharing or what will work and get more likes. Um, I think that's a better relationship to feeling better about it that is counter to the force of what gets more attention and popularity. I think that's one of the conundrums for creatives in social media. I think if you're designing your stories to be told in social media, that is like, it's going to be tough to feel creatively good about any of that because you have to fit it into that box. And maybe that challenge lights you up. It doesn't light me up. Um, but like, I think, you know, for crafting your story to be seen by an audience, you are thinking about that environment. And like, if you're designing it for social media, it does encounter some of those things. It's interesting that how I found you was actually through your father, who has done a lot of this kind of stuff. He says some things that pisses off some people, says things that pisses off other people. So he's found his own niche in that respect, kind of what you were talking about. Is the way that your father went about using media, has it affected your own and how you kind of saw media being used or how it could be used? Um, I mean, I very much helped him get into the social media world. <laughs> um, of course you did. Of course you but, did. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but in terms, he's influenced me in a lot of ways. In many ways, he was built for it. He's very succinct. He just likes everything to be so, sh like his personality is pretty good for social media in general, except he's very anti the 24-hour news, like reacting to things fast and commentary. He's like, how can you get any kind of accurate understanding of what's happening right away? Well, you haven't looked at it or analyzed it or let there be time for it to be significant or not significant. And so other than that, he doesn't do the 24 hour thing. He's very succinct. He gets straight to the point. He's controversial. That stuff all works really well in social media. Um, what I, I've learned a lot from him about listening. I've learned a lot from him about, I think, getting really brief and getting to the heart of a message and understanding what will resonate with people and what won't. I think he's a very brilliant man in a lot of ways. We don't agree on everything, but I think he's, I really appreciate his 
integrity and how much he fights for what he believes in. And yeah, how he, how willing he is to take a stand in a room full of people who think he's a monster or awful and be like, this is what I believe and this is why. And to be honest, I think some of my communication ability also came from sitting there between him and my mom as my mom, who is much more on the left, would like say like, how can you believe this? Like this is your, your, not you should not say you're a monster, but like this, what about this argument? What about that? And trying to help my dad almost articulate to her who can be in a, <laughs> in a state um, where it's like, dad, are you saying that the people mom cares about are being more hurt by these laws than helped? And just like trying to find the way to, to help communicate in my family, I think has been some of where I've gotten <laughs> my own communication skills from. Yeah. Because in, in words that move, that's what you're doing. You say you go through these different topics, both, both political and personal, and it really is, sharing stories that will relate, sharing stories that will piss someone off or make them cry, or you really want to elicit an emotion and relate to an audience. Because even if someone doesn't agree with you or know exactly that particular story because they haven't gone through that, if they feel it, if they can at least understand what's behind it, then you've at least gotten them to go on a journey with you. And it seems like that's what you hope to do. Yeah. And in words that move, I think so carefully constructed that I like, I want everyone to agree with me all the way through. I'm like, I have, I'm pulling that <laughs> rope being like, how can you not agree with this? That's I mean, it's like so a, obvious. A right. It's so obvious. <laughs> and I really, that is kind of the structure of it. Um, and then I've become more comfortable um, over the past couple of years, which is like, here's what's going on. I want to elicit something in you, whether that's agreement or some other emotion. That's not my problem. Um, like that's, that's on, that's on you. And that's part of the art. It's evoked something great. Uh, and I think that's that's been something I've grown into. Well, that is certainly an important part of storytelling, you know, telling us what we love to hear and telling us what we either didn't know or didn't want to hear. So I appreciate you being one of those storytellers who puts it out there. And, uh, and thank you for sharing your own story here on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. And yeah, some of that is, is getting people's defenses down too, not in like a to manipulate way, but just like open people up to the point where you can hear a different perspective or something that seems so obvious. Thank you for having me and for, for the chat. To learn more about Max, visit his website, wordsthatmove.com. You can also hear more from him in a bonus episode as he answers the final five questions. It's available to supporters on YouTube and Supercast. To get access to this and other bonus episodes, please consider making a donation to Why I'll Never Make It. Your support is truly vital and meaningful to keep this podcast going. So go to whyillnevermakeit.com and click the support button in the upper right-hand corner or just look for the link in the show notes. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Publicity provided by Imagine PR Group. Incidental music featured in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. Most enterprises use disparate systems to manage spend. The result? A reactive manual approach. CFOs and controllers, you deserve better. You deserve a unified spend platform from Brex. Brex makes it easy to proactively control spend with cards, spend management, travel, and bill pay in one place. You can create budgets with controls built in, track and adjust in real time to keep teams accountable, and automate compliance to close the books faster. Ready to control your spend with one unified platform? Visit Brex.com.